Hello, and welcome to this very exciting, eerie extra of Such a Nightmare Conversations About Horror. I am so excited. I think one of my favorite things to do is these interviews because I get to learn so much. And I'm so excited to be joined by what I have called in my Google Doc, the clown interview, sorry, uh, which is going to be an opportunity to get to talk to Jason Buterin, Kevin Kangas, and Ron Rickey. Together, they can be seen in, and I'm just going to read the title because it's a little long, The Many Lives of Scary Clowns, Essays on Pennywise, Twisty, The Joker, Krusty, and more, which just came out from McFarland Press. And independently, they are doing all sorts of clown things. So I'm going to start by reading their bios. I personally always feel really weird when someone's reading my bio, so feel free to have that like awkward look on your face as I slaughter my way through what you have shared with me. And then we'll jump into the questions and you can just sort of answer as the spirit so moves you. And I will try to only interrupt a little bit as I fangirl. So up first, as creative director of the straight jacket tested, doctor approved Mad Ones Films from Greensboro, North Carolina, Jason Buterin's mission has been to show the unbridled kaleidoscopic creativity just waiting to be unleashed when the inmates are finally allowed to run the cinematic asylum. He is the writer and director of award-winning indie film fare, such as the Tarantino meets Twilight Zone trilogy, the gospel according to Booze, Bullets, and Hot Pink Jesus, the on-road thriller Between Hell and a Hard Place, and the sinister stay-at-home horror hits Don't Let the Light In and The Corner. He's currently awaiting the Hollywood studio release of his very first feature-length film, The Chlorophobia Courting, Clown Killing, Thrilling Goodness of Kill Giggles, while also prepping a series of screenplays to go into production once the apocalypse finally goes away. Thank you, Jason, for joining us. We are also joined by Kevin Kangas, who is the writer and director of seven feature films, including the cult classic Hunting Humans, the Lionsgate features Fear of Clowns 1 and 2, and the hit anthologies Territory <laughs> 1 and 2. He's also published a novella about vampires called With Teeth, and a book that's more a love letter to Halloween called Halloween, The Greatest Holiday of All. Thank you so much, Kevin. And finally, we have Ron, who is quickly eating food because he might be the most busy human I have ever met, or as Jason speculated, maybe not a human at all. And so I would like to tell you about Ron Rickey, whose books include My Ancestors Are Reindeer Herders and I Am Melting in Extinction, Post Traumatic, and UP. He co-edited The Many Lives of the Evil Dead, The Many Lives of the Twilight Zone and Undocumented, and edited The Many Lives of Scary Clowns, which is how we all got together, and The Many Lives of It, which I have the honor of being featured in. Here and Here, which won the Independent Publisher Book Award and Phew, the way home, the way north. His story, America, published in Decomp, was turned into a film by MC Squared Film in Romania, winning awards at the Red Rock Film Festival and Trey Court International Film Festival, and was distributed throughout Greece. His story, Teeths, which is Pushcart nominated and published in the Santa Barbara Literary Journal, was also turned into a film by the same production company, winning several awards. Ricky has played the title role in the horror film Flesher, and received a Crimson Screen Horror Film Fest nomination for Best Actor, and he's also acted in the movie Short Straw. And you can read more about the titles and works uh, in the episode description. So thank you so much, Ron, for joining us. So I have some questions that I, I a couple of them I ask sort of every interview because I they're questions I want to know answers to. Um, and 
I provided you the questions ahead of time, but if you didn't have a chance to look at them, then you can, you know, put your thinking face on and figure out your answers now. Because the first one, I don't know if I could answer. And it is, what are some of your most memorable formative experiences with horror? Who wants to go first? You know the rule is is when you speak first. I think that means you go first. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We're waiting for you, dude. You're in. Well, for me, uh, I'm I'm pretty old. I don't know how old Jason is, but I'm pretty old. My formative experiences all sort of involve VHS. Uh, You know, my friends and I in high school, um, I remember like Alien and Nightmare on Elm Street and Fright Night and The Beast Within. And basically all these like and, and other ones that were, you know, are not even on anywhere near the level of those, you know, like really, really bad uh, movies, which I think I'm just sort of trying to replicate in my career, you know, like, because the thing is we enjoyed these movies. It didn't matter like how bad they were, as long as they were creative and interesting and they had some good, good gore and some nudity and sex, you know, because we were in high school. That's so that's important. Stuff, you know, this is back in the day when there was pre-internet. Oh yeah. Pre-internet when you couldn't, you couldn't see nudity anywhere. I mean, you'd, you know, the, it was National Geographic. If you saw like one of those natives topless, you were like, oh, my God, that was big. That was big stuff there. So uh, as long as it had that stuff, you know, we loved it. Um, so I think that's sort of what I do now. I just sort of recreate. I'm making my version of these sort of schlocky B-movie, you know, horrors that are fun. I'm just trying to entertain, basically. That's why, you know, formative wise, I don't know whether, you know, all those things definitely impacted me and left a mark Um but it's really, yeah, it's the, it's the 80s slashers and 80s horrors that really, really uh, did it for me. Yeah, I had a lot of uh, similar experiences. I mean, I grew up in the, the backwoods of the back roads of Missouri uh, in the early 80s and stuff. So, I mean, I had, I had two friends in the trailer park. One was the County Scenic Library, which was like 10 miles away. The other was the video store in town, the one video store in town, which was like 20 miles away. Um, and I mean, every weekend, I mean, I would have a huge stack of books and a huge stack of videos. And I mean, it was watching things like an entirely way too young of an age, like Night of the Living Dead. I think I saw it for the first time. It was like five or six. Um, I loved it. Watch Psycho when I was like seven uh, and made it through. I was cool with it until the very last scene where Anthony Perkins looks up at the end and it just fucking unhinged me. And I lost my mind. Um, and I, I fell in love with horror right about that time because I started to get into the Twilight Zone at a very early age. And that had a tremendous influence, I think, on everything I've done uh creatively professionally existentially um so i mean it was watching his movies and you know i i remember the first time i having these great experiences the first time i saw the exorcist and i mean just being unnerved unhinged excited palpitated all at the same time uh the first time i watched sleepaway camp and you see the ending and it's like holy shit it's a dick um and it's just amazing it's still one of the best slasher ending horror films that you know best Endings of a slasher horror film to this day, I think. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was shocking at the time. So, like, ah? um, and to be able to have those experiences, you know, watching all the Friday the 13th and stuff, uh, I stuck into the Midgerous Mall Theater to see Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984. And I was eight, yeah. and I didn't sleep for like four days after that. My mom was ready to take me to the doctor. I'm like, I snuck into a scary movie. But it's, it's those experiences like that that I guess, I mean, just sort of derailed me and put me on, on, the, on the path because I, I wanted to. I wanted to give other people those experiences that I had, you know, the first time watching alien and and just seeing the full reveal of the alien and just your mind melting in your head. Like, I want to do that. I didn't know I wanted to be, I had no clue. I wanted to be a filmmaker, but I knew I I wanted to scare people. I wanted to tell stories. I I wanted to be able to, you know, someday give people the same 
visceral reaction and thrills and chills and stuff like that, that that I got growing up watching these movies. So to, and I was, I was a writer for a long time. I was a columnist. I was a music journalist. I did uh, written novels, all that kind of stuff like that. Um, and then just got into, got into uh, filmmaking and screenwriting and then just nothing was ever the same after that. Um, so, I mean, it just, it, yeah, I don't know if I became a filmmaker or the filmmaker became me. Um, but it's yeah, I mean it's the same thing. It's it's growing up with that that love of just of of videos and watching the things on TV and HBO. Also, uh, I didn't have National Geographic fetish. I was a more of a scrambled cable porn kind of guy. Uh, where it's just like like you don't know if it's like a nipple or like you have no idea what you're looking at, but it's fucking hot. Um, if you look at it long enough, if you squint hard enough, it's like you can see the sailboat, you know. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was just growing up with, you know, a best friend that was my creative imagination. Um, and were either of you it. reading horror <laughs> at a young age too, or was it mainly just watching? All right. Now I remember falling in love with Poe and I, I still have like my, the, uh, illustrated classics of like Edgar Allan Poe ghost stories that somebody got me. And I mean, I've, I've had that for, you know, 40 years now. Um, and it's still just, yeah, you, it just Kevin? amazes me. Did you read horror? Yeah, I was reading a, I, very very young like eight or nine i found a box of books in my basement that were my dad's old books and many of them were sci-fi and fantasy but there was some horror so i read all that stuff and uh eventually broadened out i spent a lot of time at the library as a bit of a geek and um i read you know i read tons of dean Koontz back then um nice. read all sorts of uh, gary brandner i read a lot of strange ones that you, you know i wouldn't right now i couldn't even name but i, I actually own still a lot of them in a, in a box in my back because uh, I, I tried to keep I, at, at one point, I had a plan where I was going to literally keep every book I ever read because someday I'd have this massive mansion with a giant, you know, place where I could, you know, study with all these bookshelves. And well, that went away after a while because I couldn't possibly have kept all the books that I read, <laughs> but I still have some of them. So, but yeah, I was a, I was a yeah, voracious I, I kept thinking reader back that the, then. Like castle and beauty and the beast was my future out of i don't know where i got that idea uh, but i recently started reading books by telling myself <laughs> there's a kid out there that could be the next me right that could have these books and like i have to like create a whole backstory for the person who's getting my books so that i can give them up uh ron you appeared and were terrifying yeah. in your in your clown mask for, for me <laughs> what do you mean i went to the bathroom um i just got back um, um, for me, it was when I had this one book. It was V.C. Andrews, yes. something about an attic or something. Robbers <laughs> in the attic. I was so scared of the cover, I couldn't touch the book. And I told her, "Why are you reading something so creepy looking?" But as far as like, what really kicked it in for me was like definitely Twilight Zone, like Jason said. Especially I was at home, and It's a Good Life came on, and I had no idea what the hell it was. And like when that dude pops out of the jack-in-the-box thing i was like that's the creepiest thing i've seen in my entire life i was like that is brilliant especially for television especially like back in the 50s i was like that is brilliant and then for movies when i saw gremlins i remember i got done and i thought it was real so i thought there was really gremlins in the world so i was on the lookout for gremlins like crazy i was for sure they were in my closet so i was like really watching my closet and then uh and then this is funny, as years later, they I was in the military and they showed Gremlins 2 and I was like on my base and I was like, I got to go see this. And they're like, well, it's not at the regular theater. And I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you got to go on this road in the middle of nowhere. And I get there and it was, uh, they showed it on in the jungle on the back of a wall. It was a bunch of uh, Filipino guys all speaking Tagalog and me. And I was the whole time of that, I had my feet up because I was worried about snakes. 
in a in a, in a Gremlins two was amazing. Like Gremlins one and two. Then I was at a party, and in Robert Pinsky was there, and great Joyce Carol Oates were amazing writers. But I just gravitated to the guy. One of the guys, they said, "Well, what did you do?" And he said, "Well, I wrote Gremlins two. And I was like, "What?" And I just was like all over that guy. I was just I asked him way too many questions where he was getting sick of me. I can't remember if he was Charles Haas or Christopher Columbus, like not the dude who discovered America, but yeah. the other one that wrote Gremlins two. But oh my god, I was just fan fanning out on that dude. I, he was really sick of me because I was just asking him way too many Gremlins questions. And I was like, and I was telling him like that's the coolest thing. The rest of your life, you get to see you wrote Gremlins too. And he's like, well, it's not that impressive. And I'm like. Dude, freaking you, you can you can retire now. You do you you freaking knocked it out of the park and he was like, I'm <laughs> never gonna get better than that, man. <laughs> Give it up now. That's yeah, so yeah, like the key and peel. You ever see it? No. They're making fun of gremlins too. The key and peel. Oh my god. Have you got have you seen that J- Jason or Kevin? No. Oh my god, do gremlins too key and I'm gonna peel. write a note right now. Oh my god, freaking hilarious. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about Gremlins too is I mean Christopher Lee. He just I could I that made me so happy to see him in that. <laughs> I, just remember, I just remember seeing it in a theater and that part where the film breaks. Yeah. Like, everybody it was like, oh, and we, we all literally film broke. And then it, it comes back on. I was like, holy shit, that is genius. <laughs> well, so now I know that Ron is scared of gremlins in real life, right? Um, <laughs> but what what about the the rest of you? I mean, and, and I assume Ron has other things. What scares you in real life? And and I promise I'm not like collecting. I always feel like every time I ask that question, people think that I'm like making a list, and I'm like, Jason is scared of this. Be sure to remember that. But just I'm curious to know how how the fears that you have in real life play into your filmmaking and, and writing and what you're doing with horror. Uh, for me, I, I don't. Oh yeah, go ahead. I was say people yeah. fucking terrify me. People are the worst monsters. <laughs> um, I, I should have prepared. I should have wrote it down because Rod Serling has some brilliant quotes about just you know people and and being you know just I mean the the the, the scariest monsters that are out there because they're wearing human suits. Um, so I mean for for me, I think yeah. I mean I think the the atrocities we can commit towards each other are just are far more terrifying than anything we could ever commit to celluloid. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't stop trying. So um, I, I am, I'm, I'm rightly downright properly terrified of clowns. I, I hate the floppy footed fuckers. Uh, not a big fan. That's why I made the movie where I wanted to see them die because I felt they had it coming. I've suffered enough. Um, and a lot of people was like, oh, it's Pennywise from it and stuff like that. I was like, no, no, it, I was cool with it. Uh, I wasn't born this way. It was a choice I made. Uh, after I after I saw Poltergeist oh. and the clown marionette scene come Looking like that just that did it for me. I was done, cool with everything else in the movie, but that clown marionette scene. And, and then I ended up like being at a was at a convention with Vernon Wells like a couple of years ago. I was hanging out with the kid uh, who played Oliver, who was in Poltergeist. It was really weird. Had great stories going back and forth. Um, but I'm yeah terrified. Clowns and people, I think, are, are the two biggest things. And then I I don't understand taxes at all. Those scare me. So math will that be the next? Me is that the next lot. film we can expect? Is like taxes and math. I'm yes, going to kill math. That would, that would be super rad. What about you? Well, it's funny that, that it's funny he mentions Poltergeist because when we, you know when we did the uh, making of for the first Fear of Clowns, we asked everybody in the cast, you know, the, our uh, interviewer, one of the questions specifically for everybody was, you know, are you afraid of clowns, and where did that first come from? And overwhelmingly, wow. it was the Poltergeist clown. I mean, it was like 90% of the people said that. It was like, <laughs> wow, that thing really messed a lot. Of people up, 
An entire um, generation. Man. I'm not really. Yeah, it really, it really did. I, I think that could be why they're so popular. You know, why they really are so popular. Um, but for me, I, I don't really fear anything anymore because I'm very old and I expected to be dead by 30. So, I mean, <laughs> my mortgage sometimes scares me. That's about it. But uh, other than that, I don't really have too many fears. But I still remember what it was like to be frightened. You know, I mean, I still specifically remember. You know, like you said, you saw Nightmare on Elm Street in the movie theater. I saw it on VHS. Um, and I remember having at my buddy's house and it was only like two blocks away, but I had to walk home and I literally walked home in the middle of the road because I just, I wanted to make sure if Freddie was coming at me, I'd have a couple feet to, to start running. So, I mean, I still remember what fear is like. I just don't really have it anymore. And by the way, Kevin, every time you say that you're really old, I'm just adding <laughs> 10 years. So, so right now I have you pegged at like 75, just like a really, so. <laughs> it's still low, still low. 146. So every time you say it, I'm just going to add another 10 years on them. I interviewed someone today that's 146. So we're almost there. Good. There good, you good. go. You're, you're close. You're very close. <laughs> for, for me, for me, it's I, I kind of agree with Jason. Like that's one of the things I miss when I was a kid. I was scared. I th I thought stuff was real. Like I thought ghosts were real. I thought like Easter Bunny was real. And all these just I I bought all of it. And so like. I lived in this magical world for a while where I was like, there was trolls and all these like crazy, every, everything was existing. And like, I missed that. That was a fun time. I was scared as hell, but it was really fun. And so now it's not, I don't not, I'm not afraid of ghosts at all. I'll go, I'll go. I live in a, my basement here. We do laundry. I'll go at midnight and it's, it's terrifyingly horrorish down there. And I don't care. I just go, but uh, people scare the crap out of me. So like as an adult, it's going to be like when I was in Desert Storm, I was afraid then. Uh, I worked in the prison system. I had times where I was definitely afraid in the prison system because humans are, I, I don't, I don't trust humans. <laughs> so, but the ghosts aren't going to, ghosts, if they're real, they're nice. They probably just cuddle with us while we sleep. Well, every time you yawn, a ghost sticks its dick in your mouth. I mean, that's just scientific Whoa. fact. Yeah. Jason. Scientific I fact. I've seen I forgot the to ask what the rating is on this podcast. I assume it's... <laughs> oh, no, we market primarily to kindergartners, so... <laughs> excellent, excellent. I'm really big at the Scholastic Fair, by the way. Uh, yeah, I so I teach a class on monsters, and, and I tell the students straight up front, we're not going to lump humans in there because that, that makes humans... Humans are the problem, right? Like, monsters are not the problem. Humans are the problem, so we need to separate it so we know that humans bad, monsters maybe okay. Uh, so that's interesting that, that, that there's just that consensus. I teach what here at Trinity University. So I teach everywhere from, from like freshman in college, university. Like yeah. yeah. So 18 grade. to 22 year olds. Yeah. And then the monsters oh, class I teach, it's gotcha. the like first class they take when they come to college. So like, and we use monsters to talk about things like, how does one write an essay? And why do you need to write nice emails to your faculty? And, you know, so it's, it's a introduction to, to college and writing and thinking and all that good stuff. It's a blast. It sounds like a cool class that I did yeah. not have in any of my college at all. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, no, that sounds it's super like rad. I feel so, so lucky to get to teach it. So we're reading. Um, we're starting with Frankenstein. We're going to watch uh, Girl Walks Alone Home at Night. We're watching Shaun of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, we're reading Victor LaVale's Destroyer. Oh. I don't know if you've read that graphic novel. Um Grady Hendrix's Southern Book Club's mm -hmm. Guide to Slaying Vampires. So it's just, you know, we're, we're kind of covering several different monsters and then they have a project on a different monster. But I do not let them pick humans ever because I'm like, humans are the worst thing. 
So it is, it is. <laughs> and, I'm like, and they're like, can Stack. I please do? And I'm like, never. <laughs> you have to pick a monster, monster, not a human. Um, so the next question is the only question that has the word clowns in it. Uh, although, again, we, we can put clowns in anywhere. Uh. But what is it about the horror genre, and maybe clowns in particular, that seems an ideal fit for the themes and ideas that you're currently drawn to as a horror maker? So what is it about the genre that appeals to you in terms of like either generic conventions? So Kevin, you've already talked about the necessary nudity, right? (laughs) Or, you know, but I mean, like, what is it that that makes the genre a perfect fit for what it is you're wanting to explore in your works right now? For me, um, you know, when I first did, I was never afraid of clowns, but I had a friend who was very afraid of them. That's what gave me the idea. You know, this was back in. 2000 roughly maybe 2001 um and there really wasn't much clown stuff out there besides there was it and then there was some killjoys but other than that there really was no other ones the only movie with a clown that had really scared me mm. was clown house uh that i thought was kind of freaky i saw that way before any like nobody knew who victor salva was or anything um so back then the clowns was... from outer space <laughs> That, that didn't scare me much. I just thought it was kind of freaky and fun. Right? It was I had seen it and I liked it, but it just didn't really scare me. Um, something about, especially the attic scene in Clown House, that it's just so well shot and well done. And it was like, these guys are, you know, because again, they're just crazy people who had put paint on. Um, so at the time I had been looking, I had just done Hunting Humans. It was pretty successful. Uh, you know, my first movie got wide distribution without Blockbuster, Hollywood video, all that stuff. And I was looking to essentially at that point, make a something that was more studio friendly i guess you could say and uh so i was thinking you know i'd make my own kind of halloween because i was a big carpenter fan loved halloween um and i thought well you know you need like essentially like a masked villain well a clown is just basically a guy where you know wearing a painted on mask so that was essentially what for you know it didn't really have much to do with themes at that point at that point i was writing the script trying to figure out whether he was a real person or whether because when I, my original idea was she was painting these pictures of this guy who started stalking her. And I thought, well, it could be supernatural. I don't know. Maybe it's some sort of manifestation. But I, I never I didn't go that way. I ended up going more realistic. But for me, it was just an, uh, a way to kind of steal John Carpenter's Halloween theme, essentially. You know, the theme of the, the strong female protagonist being stalked by, you know, a menacing, mostly silent killer. And uh, from there, it just it took out, you know, when Lionsgate called me which was bizarre to get a call from Lionsgate that's when I was like well, clearly I'm on to something here so I did the sequel um but I mean I think the, the fact that they're the reason one of the reasons why they're so popular is because like they've always got that smile on their face even though they're not really smiling so there's something artificial or fake about them when you you just look right at them you know they're, they're wearing a mask to, to hide who they are but they're also hiding their intentions and there's just I think that's why in general you kind of get a creepy feeling about them when you just you know just on first look so, but I mean, as far as themes and stuff, I never really, you know, clowns didn't, I didn't have like a clown theme in mind, you know, it was always, it's always in service of the story mm-hmm. and the theme of the story for me. So. Yeah. Ditto. That end. <laughs> <laughs> um, Totes, what he said. Um, for me, I mean, horror was just, uh, I mean, horror, horror has been my lifelong love. Um, you know, I say from the, the Twilight Zone, the early movies and stuff like that. Uh, I grew up, um, my dad, my dad's dad used to have a bar in St. Louis, Missouri, down in the Del Mar Loop that Vincent Price used to drink in. 
Uh, so whenever like Vinny would be like, it would be Vinny who would be like, in the Hammer films and stuff. And I was like, I grew up watching the Hammer films, the Universal Horror. It's like I just I loved being scared. It fucking it made it made me happy to have palpitations, to be scared, like to not know what's going to happen next. You know, the first time I saw Exorcist three in the theater and the fucking the, the scene, the jump cut scene, lost my shit. And I still do that every time I watch a movie. Uh, to this day, I will still freak the fuck out. Um, I can't wait to show it to my son. It makes me very, very happy. But it, horror, horror, I don't think I had a choice because um, I wanted to do that to other people. I wanted to just to come up with that that mind of a moment um, to where, you know, and the thing I love, I think I love so much about the Twilight Zone um, and it, you know, other other masters of that era. Rod Sterling was able to take the, the most seemingly innocuous and simple things and invoke them with this great preternatural power you know uh the camera that takes a picture like 10 seconds in advance you know is a whatever you know uh nightmare 20 yeah ter- nightmare 20,000 feet um with the jolly green giants kid and william shatner in the ring uh burgess married you know uh time enough at last my favorite episode ever where it's like the one guy he gets everything he ever wanted in the entire world and then he breaks his glasses and he can't see um to where i mean it's just it's so crushing and it's so and simple and to me that was terrifying it wasn't graphic you know it did it didn't have graphic nudity i know uh graphic you know blood anything like it, it didn't have all that what it had was a graphic story um you know the most gratuitous thing was it was the character was was Burgess meredith um so i wanted to try and do that with my first feature and said having a, a you know loathing clowns with the fiery passion of a thousand sons um, I didn't. I didn't want. I, they were always the serial killer. They were always the monster, the murderers, the spreaders of mayhem. Um, and I, I wanted to sort of. I wanted to do so. I wanted to kill them. I didn't want to glorify. I didn't want to get any more screen time. If I was going to do it, I wanted to see them die. Um, so I started filling composition book after composition book. I've got like an entire box of them. So at my commitment hearing, those should be people's defense exhibit evidence like A through fucking double Z. Um, you know, line by line, I mean, so much fucking clown death. But I wanted to be able to do that to where we could sort of eschew some of the, the the more modern horror tropes to where it just, it you're throwing everything at the viewer. I mean, everything gratuitous just to get an, a rise or a simple reaction for a couple of seconds. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to scare people without them. I wanted to make them think without them realizing they were doing so, you know, to kind of leave a few blanks for people to fill in because the, 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 the monster that you see in your head or the, the sex scene you see in your head or whatever like that is always going to be better than anything we could ever film. Um, and to me, it, it, it's, it, it has to be that, that give and take, that cat and mouse, that play between the filmmaker and the film watcher. So that's, that's what I wanted to do with Kill Giggles. And I think we got really, really lucky uh, because we worked on it, worked on it for about four years. Um, the first draft of the screenplay was over 300 pages and I wasn't done yet. But every time I kept telling my DP how long it was, he would pee a little. So I'm like, all right, fine, I'll cut it down. So we cut it down and cut it down and cut it down. Um, and we were able to make something magical to where we have a serial killer of clowns, not a serial killer who dresses up like a clown. So we did some amazing and brilliant things. Uh, we were very lucky and got distribution at a much larger level than, than we thought possible. And then we found out what is involved with Hollywood deliverables and all the fun stuff. And we found out what a QC was and how expensive it is. And I wish I'd, yeah. So um, um, we, we learned a lot of very valuable lessons. So for, for me, I, I didn't, get involved with horror to kill clowns, but it just, it worked out really, really well. Um, it was very convenient for me because, uh, I mean, I've got, I've got a beautiful, a beautiful 10 year old son. And I figured it was a matter of time before he got into, invited to a birthday party and bubbles, the floppy footed fucker would be the entertainment du jour. Um, so I could either get over this crippling coerphobia 
or have a very well rehearsed story about where Jack's daddy disappeared to when the truth of the matter is I'm locked in the trunk of my car crying hysterically. So I chose ill-advised self-administered psychotherapy. That's my story. I was going to say, I completely agree with Jason about like my favorite movies or stuff when they don't show the worst part because my brain makes it so much more worse. And, and I was trying to, I was thinking about like what, as an adult, what are moments where I've gotten scared and it's almost like never with movies, but one thing is there was one time I was working at a movie theater and they, we would get these movies in early and the guy said, hey, this is this hasn't even been released yet. Do you want to take this home with you? So I brought it home and it was Blair Witch Project and I didn't, <sighs> I didn't know anything about it. So I there was none of the advertising. So I took it as a documentary. So I was watching this going, is this real or is this documentary is this fake or real? And so that was I, that was one of the best four experiences of my entire life. I just wish the whole rest of the world got to experience it before it was released because it was just magical. And then at the end, I love that shot with the dude in the corner. I was like, that is so freaking just interesting because my my mind just went crazy with that. And like, I think more directors need to steal that. That's one of the things I liked about like. My mom was talking about that because she was a huge, huge horror fan. She loved Alfred Hitchcock because it was what he wasn't showing that you just start filling it in with you. Yeah. No, I, I, I would call that. That's my, I, my, my term on set. I wanted to Hitchcock it. Um, so it's like basically it's like, you know, something's going to happen. Oh, look, the camera went over here. And now we're back, you know, because um, we had that with, uh, with, with Kill Giggles. Uh, we have a scene where two people are making out. Everything's getting kind of frisky. And then they go into the bedroom and they shut the door. Um, and the, and the distributed people are like, well, you got to fill out all these forms for all the sex and the nudity is how about there is not like, what? <laughs> like, they're like, there's no sex. Well, like they go in and they shut the bedroom door. You don't even show ass. I was like, no, I tried to get a frame of my own ass spliced into the movie, but my editor didn't take the picture. And they, they couldn't wrap their minds around the fact that we didn't have nudity in there at all. It's just like, but it's a horror film. I'm like, eh, it's more of a thriller. Uh, but I just I love I love just Hitchcocking it because um, I mean that's one of the things I love in Psychos. I mean it's this the shower scene and it's one of the most pivotal scenes of modern horror cinema, and they don't ever show anything. But it's everything that they don't. And all the little blanks you fill in in between the water drops in the shower, and I just I I love that scene. I feel um, like you just like saying the word cock. Well, I mean, who does it? You know? Is that part of it? Cock. I was, was going to say though about about if any if there are any screenwriters out there, if you've never read the Psycho screenplay, the original. It is so good. I was at the Writers Guild and, and it was like an original copy. And I was like, oh, I got to check this out. I sat there. I read the whole thing at the Writers Guild. It had the marks on the sides for notes for it and stuff. That movie. Oh, my God. That is how you write a screenplay like that. And I, I think more screenwriters need to actually read screenplays, especially really, really good screenplay. Mm -hmm. That is an amazing screenplay. And, and Ron, for for you, I'm also curious. I mean, you, you edit shit ton of, of these edited collections like more than any human should be able to do what is it about about you wanting to build that relationship between these these essays and interviews and and the like what what motivates you to do that with the horror genre you know honestly it's exactly what we're doing right now i think like kevin and, and jason th there's brilliance there and like just to make a, a movie at all that is really freaking hard. So, so like, I kind of love uh, connecting people and just picking their minds and, you know, just hearing about how, you know, like Jason, like just saying, like wanting to Hitchcock a scene and stuff. Like, I really get into that. And there's something 
about horror that I find, I mean, I like all genres, actually. Like, I really do, especially, like, horror and comedy. And, and horror comedy is just amazing. But uh, I, I, I like, if you can do a really good horror movie, like, there's something about that that I think <clears throat> you're starting to tap into, like, I don't even know the word it. It's like almost like the divine. It's, it's almost like spiritual sometimes if you have a really good horror movie. It makes you think about about the big questions that and I love that. I love if I go to a really good horror movie, I leave it and you feel a little bit different. You feel like you look at the world a little bit different. So I like collecting those people together. And the same thing with <coughs> with you too is like getting people like you and and uh, Kevin Wetmore and like these really freaking smart horror <coughs> scholars and then like you do this exact same thing where, <clears throat> you know, you start looking at these films in ways that I never, I'd be like, oh, I never, I never thought of looking at a film like that. So it's like you take the movie that's already done and hey, here's another angle of how to watch that movie. And I, I love that. I like smart people. I like, and I like creative people. And especially if you're smart and creative, like that's the best. <laughs> so. Can I just say I'm really jealous of Ron's whole thing? Like It I looks know. like it was shot on VHS. And like I thought you were wearing a fucking bear skin or something like that. Like when you first kind of like I thought you had like the bear hood pulled up over you. I'm like, holy shit, he went shaman. I just thought um, every time we'd come back to him, he's gonna be like in a new place, new yeah. position. Like every time we come back, yeah, by the else. end of the interview, we should be able to draw a blueprint of your home. Right? That's the goal. <laughs> How yeah. one of these times he's, like, he's gonna be like the on the toilet. That's gonna be pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I am right now. <laughs> so this next question I ask uh, every interview because uh, it's it's the framework that that helped me understand how how I understood the genre and and it came about because I kept trying to figure out like why oh. even though I really like Stephen King I I'm not scared by him at the end of the day in the way I'm scared by other people some of the scenes are terrifying obviously the concepts are terrifying well, but I, I kept like wondering why do I maybe not consider Stephen King horror in the same way I do others and yeah. And, and so there's a, a scholar and her name is Linda Holland Toll. And she said there's this distinction between uh, what she calls affirmative horror versus disaffirmative. And so we've used this a lot in our podcast. And basically, affirmative horror says that the source of horror is threatening us. It's threatening our social and cultural value systems. But then at the end of the day, the, you know, the nightmares removed, the bad guys removed and and things are good. And you're like, oh, that's interesting. Right. So that's a lot of Stephen King. At the end of the day, yes, lots of things blow up. But family is good. Love is good. You know, people, except for all the bad people like in Derry, but everyone else is more or less okay. Versus disaffirmative horror, which which is where I realized that the things that really disturb me, and I'm thinking of, of movies, it's a lot of like French horror, but like Martyrs is a good example. Um, or some of Jordan Peele's stuff, where at the end of the day, like we pick up that curtain to look at the body and we realize it's us, right? We realize we, we are the problem culturally, socially as humans. So I'm just curious, where would you place your own horror within this framework of affirmative versus disaffirmative? And and maybe the question becomes a little bit then like, what do you think horror should do, whatever that means, right? Like, do you think it should be affirmative or disaffirmative? Do you think it just depends? Where where do you place your, your horror on that spectrum? And which over one's here. over here? Okay. Yeah, exactly. No, um, I, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have, okay. I, don't, I don't even know how to answer that. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, that's a super good question, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's so, it's sub, so subjective, I think. Um, 
for me, I guess I'm the, the was it the affirmative affirmative yeah. horror? It's not like affirmative action. <laughs> yeah. like, it's just, I've, got, I've got, which gives me a really weird idea for a horror script. Now that I say that out loud. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess more the the the, the disaffirmative. Like, I guess um, if we had to give it a label. Yeah, to be horror, I, I, I just think it should just scare people, thrill people, chill them. Um, and I mean, you know, that, 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 that has to be different for every for every single person. I mean, you know, there, there are those 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 endemic, you know, collective sort of boogeyman monsters, you know, archetypes out there that are collectively scary. Um, but I, it's 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 got to be such a, a singular experience that you did, you know, as filmmakers, you try and figure what's going to either terrify the most people or for me a lot of my what i do is just it's thin, it's cinematic catharsis i mean i think of the 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 stories that i wanted to see or you know what i what scares me which you know being the clowns that was the easy thing to just pick up and run with um which i i guess is disaffirmative <laughs> anti for unaffirmative negative um yeah i'm gonna have to see i'm gonna think about that one some more I was when I, I looked at that question, but it was just yeah. I've I've never had that broach during an interview before too. So I mean, that's a very yeah. And it's certainly not the only way. It. It's just for me, it like a light bulb went off, right? And I realized, <coughs> oh yeah, that's that's why certain things scare me. And but I think you're so right also about you know different things for different people. I constantly <laughs> have to tell like my male students why the scene is so terrifying to all of us female students present, you know, and they'll be like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> like the world you live in is very different from the world I live in. <laughs> Just make them watch. Well, I should, but but I don't want them. I want them to be scared about other things, right? Not just. No, make them watch teeth because now I want to see the reaction I, to that. Because you're like, Aah. actually, now I, I mean, I keep trying to find a way to put it in to the to the classes I'm teaching because I feel like it's time to traumatize a whole bunch of eighteen year old boys. So, what about you, Kevin? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I, I I looked at the question too and thought that's interesting. I've never really. I don't tend to try to deconstruct my stuff after, um, you know, mostly when I start with a story, I, it's got to be very interesting to me because I know if I'm going to shoot it, it's literally going to take years because, you know, I ended up writing, directing, editing, you know, pretty much do nearly everything other than act and music because I don't know anything about either of those two things. But, um, you know, like my first movie, Hunting Humans, would clearly be affirmative because it's all about a serial killer um, who ends up finding out he's stalked by another serial killer. Um and clearly it's pretty popular because an actual serial killer was caught with it oh in gosh. his truck at one point. So if you Google hunting, Google hunting humans, Adam Leroy Lane, you'll find a pretty interesting story where they caught this guy and in his truck, they found like, you know, choke wire and masks and knives. So you get to see all these, all these <laughs> kind of your photos. Movie. What's that? And, a yeah, and, then, your and then right next to it is a DVD player. And in that DVD player, they've got it opened oh up gosh. and there's a copy of hunting humans That's wild. sitting in his DVD player. And it's like, and I actually got a letter from him after he was in jail. Um, so that's, I've got, I've got that around here. So I got to scan that because some people want to see it, but it's pretty interesting. So, I mean, it's, you know, that was clearly affirmative and yet fear of clowns is that, I guess that's probably affirmative. I don't know. I mean, you know, I just basically find stories and characters that are interesting to me and, and however they fall, they fall, you know, as long as the story is interesting to me and explores something that I'm interested in. You know, I'd say Hunting Humans was very personal to me because it's probably the closest movie. At, at the, I was, I've said this before, so it's not shocking to anybody. I was a bit of a sociopath in college. Um, so that character was based 90% on me. I didn't kill anybody yeah, huh? if the FBI is listening right now. But other than Allegedly. that, I was, you know, 
<laughs> all I was doing in college was thinking of ways to kill people and writing them down. You know, I was, I'd figure out, and I, I did stalk people at times just to see whether I would be able to kill them and get away with it. And in most cases, I probably could have. But um, so that was very personal. And then Fear of Clowns, like I said, was more of a, uh, let's see if I can get a bigger deal and maybe move on to a bigger budget. Because, you know, Hunting Humans was only $24,000 and we shot on film. That was 16 millimeter. So, I mean, the cost of getting that film developed alone was like nearly half the budget just to get it developed and transferred to, to beta SP to uh, edit it. So uh, and then after that, I've you know sort of moved on to other stuff that you know just whatever ideas basically I find interesting enough to go. But I, I bet I it probably breaks down pretty evenly between affirmative and disaffirmative if you broke it down. But I, I don't tend to want to deconstruct my stuff because I feel like I'll yeah, I'll screw myself up by you know as it is I'm I'm way too self aware and constantly analyzing everything I do anyway. So I try to I try to back that down because I, I can feel the neat thing is there's films up. I think like Nightmare on Elm Street, which you could argue is both affirmative or disaffirmative right it's affirmative because they're like let's kill get rid of the scary you know scarred man but then you realize that they created the scary scarred man right so so there i think are a lot of films and and yours your works could very easily fall into that category right if you're finding it hard to answer it it could be because it depends on who's watching it right and what they're seeing as the source of horror yeah and i don't i don't know which one that's like the question i guess that i I can't when i when i read the question i thought to myself right you know once i started looking i thought I, which one scares me more in in general like or in the past which one because i mean the the people probably ought to because it's more realistic and yet the last movie that probably legitimately scared me was the ring um like that movie freaked me out in the movie like i got chills up my back a number of times in that movie and that doesn't happen it just doesn't happen and that was clearly disaffirmative so i don't think i could tell you which one is probably the scarier i guess it just depends on you know how it's executed Ron, do you have anything you want to add? I mean, I, I, I um, so I, I had the two, my, my, the two short stories I got filmed as, as yeah. you know, <laughs> what are we so looking dark. at right here? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I keep trying to figure out where you that now. Uh, and so, uh, like one of them, they got the distribution in Greece, and the other one got distribution in France, and and I was thinking about how it. Because to get distribution, especially for a short film, that's pretty hard to do for our entire country where it's showed in over 100 theaters in France. And I think what I did with both of them that worked so good is like when I submitted it to, um, so I turned turned one into a screenplay and I submitted it to the, the company in Romania and they said something along the lines of it was like the only script that really was saying something. And the first, my first film, it was, it was just making fun of the NRA. It was like NRA people who are just like so so hyper vigilant about wanting to just so it was just like this ridiculousness about them like just yeah you'd have to see the movie (laughs) no no it's it's kind of like a like a black like a like black satire satire or something like that but then the second film was like really making fun of capitalism so it was just like the ridiculousness of just one it was the second one is about this kid who he his tooth comes out and so then he looks underneath the pillow and there's money under the pillow and then he realizes oh if i so every tooth i get money so then he he goes into his sister's bedroom at night when she's sleeping with a hammer and then the mother find, sees him and starts screaming like what are you doing and so then they make him go to counseling and when they bring him to counseling they drive by a cemetery and he looks at the cemetery and he starts counting up how many teeth he thinks are in the cemetery 
And he realizes that's a lot of money. So then he starts going digging up graves. And like the the the, the directors just absolutely loved the the commentary that it was making, you know. So so I think that's that's what I was doing really well when I when I've I've done well with horror is is and in the short stories and stuff that I get paid for, it tends to be like interesting innovative idea but it's also saying something about because this our society is just a mess Lie. So what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know where you live man. I don't know. here's fine it's so weird by the way that we're doing this because we are it's just like there's war going on it's a pandemic right now it's 105 degrees outside i have no air conditioning like it's just like it feels like we're, i'm in hell right now in many ways you know it's like i'm in the yeah, horror movie. i was telling kevin before the rest of you got on that you know here in san antonio it's just always unacceptable but pretty much every summer you know it was 105 the other day with like 40 percent humidity and I could do the heat, maybe. I, I could do the humidity, maybe. But the two together, it's it is an unacceptable existence. So yeah. that was the fun part about growing up in Missouri, because around summertime, the temperature and the Ew. humidity are often the same number. So it'd be like ninety-five degrees outside, ninety-five percent humidity. So like you mm. go outside, and you're bam, instantly fucking soaked in sweat. I mean, so I grew up in Arizona, way. so no one ever, so everyone would be like, it's just a dry heat, and I never knew what that meant until what they were saying was, at least it doesn't feel like you're wearing a wet washcloth on your mouth. And I'm like, oh, that I understand. <laughs> no, that's still bullshit. Man. If you if oh, your shoes yeah. melt, if you stand in a fucking parking lot for like 30 seconds and your shoes melt, I had a pair of sunglasses, I had a pair of sunglasses melt in the car. They just melted. And I was like, this oh is, this is not right. And Arizona has scorpions, so Arizona's off the the list of just acceptable options. So the the next question, I completely stole it from Ron. Uh, it's the question that he asked both of you at the end of, of both your interviews, which again, for those of you listening, can be found in the Mini Lives of Scary Clowns, which is through McFarland Press. And I stole it because it it's two questions in one, which is always exciting, but it's also two questions that I thought just worked really nicely as a sort of way to go. And so the questions were, what direction do you think horror, horror movies need to go in the future? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Pretend horror I didn't say movies. that. I had a speech impediment when I was little where I couldn't say the letter R. So the fact I chose to love a genre that has three R's makes me real sad. Um, so what direction do you think horror movies need to go in the future? And how can the genre be improved? <laughs> More nudity. This is I a think. surprising answer uh, from Kevin. I, I feel unprepared for that based on everything we've talked about. <laughs> He wants more tits. He wants more. He wants more all-inclusive nu- all all nudity. That's right. All of Whatever I, I have, I have girl friends who are always talking about getting more penis in movies. Well, Jason's offered to have his butt okay, be in a movie, not, right? Not so... what I prefer. Yeah, no. I mean, we can. Yeah, right. we can. I could, we, could, we could bring in a stunt cock. You know, I mean, like stunt cock. <laughs> bring it I, think, I think. I think you guys actually want it, and I'm not sure, but didn't when you had? I think you had a great answer. Didn't one of you say stop the remakes? Has one of you said that? <laughs> that was good. I, uh, that, I was. I was. I glad. honestly can't yeah. remember what I said. My brain <laughs> yeah, is much. Yeah, but I I agree with that. Like I'm. Well, that, that, that's my thing. Is, I mean, I think the direction it should go in. It it it, it, it needs to go back to original. Um, I you know, agree. Between, between all between everyone we know, uh, you know, I have you know, uh, you had mentioned Crimson Screen Horror Film Festival, which is one of my favorite film festivals out there. Yeah. Um, but I, I have seen such amazing fucking ideas um shorts feature length stuff like that at, at these film festivals i mean that that's the direction that it needs to go because clearly hollywood is fucking stagnant 
if we're doing remakes of reboots of stuff that came out like five years ago because they're like we don't know what else to do that's bullshit you can go to any horror film festival see five ideas and if you take a fraction of the budget do you throw it regurgitating something that was shitty when it came out the first time and you're just going to make it shittier because you're going to cater to everyone all that stuff take a fraction of that budget and just and split it up between five filmmakers and watch their entire fucking world change and watch it the brilliant shit that they create. Is it going to get the money because it's got so-and-so's tits it was in whatever fucking stupid bullshit video? No. Is it going to be original and, and, and scare people or do something or give people a chance to tell more stories? Yes. And that's my answer. That's the direction it needs to go. Is it, it, they just We need to just get rid of the... There needs to be a distribution revolution and we just need to be able to put money back into the original ideas of independent yeah. filmmaking because clearly the system is broken. I, I think Bloomhouse has done a good job of that in quite a bit. You know, they, they tend to give, you know, that's how the sort of sinister came about and insidious, you know, they gave James Wan not as much money as he was used to working before that, but they gave him all the power and said, do whatever Free you rain, want. Go nuts, yeah. Yeah, he knocked that out of the park. I think, I think when I heard that that thing cost like $750,000, I said something I never say, which is, I could not have done better than that with that budget. Like normally I see like a $10 million movie and I go, Oh, I, I could have done better than that with $10 million, $750,000. I could not have made a better movie than insidious. So I think Bloomhouse has done a very good job about doing that, bringing in some filmmakers and, and letting them do their original stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree that the, the remakes, it's just, they're, they're worthless. They're in the mo- for the most part. I mean, there's, you know, the occasional, I thought the Dawn of the dead remake, course that was a long time ago now at this point i thought that was pretty good and i mean of course the thing my my favorite movie um john carpenter's the thing was a remake technically even though it was quite reimagining that was closer to the book than the than the original but the fly remake was great so i mean there there are some but they really you really need to give it to an expert you know you know all the people directing those things other than i guess Zack snyder who's he's hit or miss here and there but you got to be really really talented to knock it out of the park with a remake otherwise I mean, I think it really bo- it boils down to the script. Is James Gunn did the script for that Dawn of the Dead, which is why it was so good. I think. Um, yeah. I would concur. It really comes down to the well, the writers. I think at that right point now, where they're making these remakes by saying, "Remember how much you loved the original?" And you're like, "Yeah," and they're like, "Now forget it," <laughs> right? Like we didn't like it, or we we want to completely change it. And it's like you can't <laughs> ask someone to both. You can't capitalize both on nostalgia and amnesia at the same time. Right. Like you can't do that. And that's what the new remakes are doing. Whereas the thing, um, even Donna, those weren't trying to say, but forget that crappy, like the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, remake where they were like, we didn't like the 1984 film. So we're going to draw you in with the same premise, but then we're going to ruin everything or. Yeah, I mean, they flat out said we didn't like it, right? We didn't like the original, so we're going to change things. And I'm like, but you're changing all the parts that drew me to the film in the first place. And I, I think that that's what we started doing right is we draw people in with nostalgia and then we're like but forget everything you loved because this is going to be different and then less right or worse yeah i think that's how that's hollywood for you because they do it all the yes. time with like like superhero stuff yeah you know, I, I owned a comic store for like 17 years so i was a big comic nerd too and the fact that like they're like hey we love the hulk so let's make a movie about him and then they change everything about it so it's like the hulk anymore and it's like why did you even option that you could have just called it something else it just doesn't make any sense. I think it's just Hollywood and how many fingers got to get in the pot. You know, all the producers got to get in there and they got to get something in there so they can say, oh, I did that. And then the next one does it. And eventually it just doesn't, you know, represent what they originally had. So. Well, it's weird, too. I think, I think it's taken an interesting twist because a lot of the, the, the uh, projects and stuff that I've seen coming out lately, um, I think the remakes are having an effect on independent filmmakers. I know 
a ton of people that are doing uh, fan films. And they're, 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 they're telling their own stories set in the world of Jason Voorhees or in the world of Hattonfield or a, a Nightmare on Elm Street or Evil Dead or something like that. There's, there's been, uh, to me, almost sort of like an alarming re resurgence in just th those fan films and stuff like that, which their original ideas set in the story of already existing characters and stuff like that. So it's like... Right, it's which means they can't market them. They can't technically make money on them, even though they... I, I always... I've seen that, and I've had yeah. friends do some of those, and I always wonder, you could have taken that money and made something that's yours. Make it... You know, it, it doesn't have to be Jason. It could be somebody who's a thinly veiled Jason, like like my shivers as a thinly veiled Michael Myers. You can make your own, and then you could go ahead and make some money and perhaps yeah. get a following. But as it is, I, I think they're they're going for it because... They've got a you know an already established audience for Jason, so they know they might have you know bigger. But you, you you'll make no money from it, so I think in the end it's, See, it's well, just a waste me. of time. Because I mean, fanfic no, I it does that all the time, right? But at least when you're writing fan fiction, it's not costing hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. Like I can't imagine putting money in yeah. that much money and knowing that you can't sell it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of times they'll kick, they'll crowdfund them and things like that to get their money. And then they'll do some some shifty things where they, you know, technically they shouldn't even be able to crowdfund money because, you know, how much of that is profit versus how much is, are you, you know, they always say in the fine print, all of this money goes to making this. We're not making any profit, but we all know that's a lie. So I think eventually the studios may crack down on that stuff, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I always, especially like I, I had a friend who did a Batman fan film and I'm like, I, I don't know why you're wasting your time and all that money when you can't do anything with this other than put it up on YouTube, it's so. That's what I think. Right? Too. I mean, those those stories. I'm sorry. Right? I mean, they can they can have a, a really sort of a, a a different sort of life on the film festival circuit. And at that point, I mean, it's not about you know you're not going to get those DVD sales and residuals and streaming and stuff like that. But I mean, it um, especially for I think for like the the superhero stuff that a lot of the the, the multi fandom conventions and stuff tend to have their own. Uh, either cinematic showcase or film festival components stuff like that. So it's like you you get a chance to uh, tap into a built-in audience at a prime venue where you you just you're streamlining that that nirvana into one one auditorium setting. Um, but yeah, I mean it, 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 it again it almost sort of depends on what your goals are as a filmmaker. It's like, are you out for riches and glory? Because yeah, I was gonna say no one business. who wants happened. money should go into um, academia, it, publishing, yeah. or filmmaking, right? <laughs> Again, that PhD in philosophy, and you just wait for the Indeed applications to start rolling out. Um, but it, you know, if if you just want to tell stories and make something and and go horribly in debt, and then tell another story and go even dive deeper into debt, which is probably the most frightening thing about independent filmmaking, um, that you know, the the I the, the the fanfic, the fan films and stuff, I could I could see the appeal. Um, but for me, I just I've seen I know so many brilliant people out there of all walks and sizes and shapes and lifestyles and everything else like that that have amazing stories to tell and i would love to just see a fraction of the the the, the bullshit funds that hollywood spends on jesus promotion twitter accounts i don't fucking know but to be able to take that and, and just and, and devote and just divert that to indie some independent filmmakers would be amazing so maybe that's what we can do with this episode and the the massive sales of the books that yes. are going to spike yes. from clearly this, this show <laughs> Um, we'll be able to establish. Maybe we, we can establish our own scholarship yeah. at your school, and, and we'll, yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> I got a good feeling. I was gonna say though that I, I do know some people now who they're rich. Like they they did they do something that it 
You know what I mean? Like they just wrote something that got big. You know what I mean? Like I know quite a few people now, but that's just because I'm working with all these talented people in the industry. And sooner or later, people hit. There's people I know now. They're millionaires. You know what I mean? Like they just they did something that just was big. Quite a few, not like not tons, but I probably like I could name like eight names right now of people who did it. And I knew them like 10, 20, 25 years ago. But one of the things I want to say is this, like for, for me, what's really critical is you need people who it's kind of like, you know, like with Jason, when you won the, like the Texas Legend Award, you've been plugging away if you're getting a Legend Award, you know what I mean? For the Austin Revolution Film Festival. And that's what you need is you need you need you need film directors like Kevin, you where you're making multiple films. Because the more, it's like, it, the way I'll reward this is when I was on the set of Flesher, John Johnson film, in in uh, Oh, John Johnson's the best. Yeah, he's gossip. So and fucking handsome. Like, devil. <laughs> and it's like covered in tattoos and just rugged. And it's just like, he's hot as fuck. And it's like, you have weird <laughs> feelings. Because, like, is everything, yeah, it's just, it's odd. But I, I was on the set and, and, we were, and we were talking about, oh, I wonder how good this movie's going to turn out. And I remember the guy who was the uh, special effects, who was like, I can't remember his name right now. I think Sean Crumbles, who's amazing. Uh, he said something about, well, I'm not really so concerned about this film. I want to see what he does in his next film. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, when you're making a film, you learn stuff and it makes your next film better. So he was like, he was already looking ahead to the next film. I thought that was brilliant because like the more films you do, Jason, the more films you do, Kevin, you're just going to get better. And like, if I look at my favorite directors, th that happens. Like, like back in the day, I remember I saw Paul Thomas Anderson's Heart Eight. That's a good freaking solid film. Heart Eight, that's his, that's his early stuff. And I remember when it first came out, I was like, that's a good movie. But he had to keep making them to get into Boogie Nights and Magnolia. And so, so that's, I think for me, is I get concerned about people who they do the movie. It's really, really hard. But it's so exhausting they don't do more and it's when you go and then you do the movie you learn from it and then the other thing that jason talked about that's so critical when you go to crimson screen horror film festival you watch film after film after film after film after film and that gives you ideas of that doesn't work that's not good that's amazing that's interesting and then it gives you ideas and then you network so you meet act that's how i got cast in two movies i got cast to act in was going to the Crimson Sea because I'm freakishly tall. And so like, they just came up to me and like, I just don't look human. So they're like, you're perfect for horror. But like, that that's what you want to do is networking, connecting and in learning and then just keep trying. I think that's what's critical. And you got to put that in your biography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crimson Screen has the human. That's awesome. One of the coolest <laughs> fucking awards ever. Um, Dude, I've been nominated. I've been nominated like nine times. I've never won. I lose every time. So, so Ron, <laughs> just like when Kevin says he's, you know, ancient, so he's like 146. I, I mean, are you like seven, two? Because that's the height I've decided you are. Like, yeah, like how tall are you? Tall. I'm, I'm, I'm eight three. Watch. I'll Without right anything now. for us to measure against. <laughs> you see that? You see that? I do. I, I believe it, dude. You're the you're the tallest. Yeah. The more you talk, today. the less I'm convinced that you are today. a human. So, and Kevin's clearly a vampire. Jason, I haven't quite figured out what you are, but it's also <laughs> not human. So, you know. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> figured out what I am yet either. It's okay. Spanguli. <laughs> I, when I usually, look at I Jason's pictures, 
I usually get the guy from the Black Crows or like Rob Zombie or there's like Jeebus. Oh, freaking Rob Zombie. I thought, I thought you were Adrian Brody from your pictures when I saw him online with yes. uh, Adrian Brody with uh, the whole goatee thing. Yes, after this, <laughs> he's going to go be in the pianist and just, you know, make a couple films. <laughs> he did, um, no, because he was just in the, they did a version of, um, oh, God, that was it, the, not the Tommyknockers? Um, he was on a, a show on Epics, oh, uh, Chapel. I haven't seen it. Yeah, um, that was good. Which was super, it was super rad. Um, yeah, it was good. I hope it gets another I'm season. Write that down because you know I have so much free time. Yeah, no, it, 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 well, it was hot because it was because uh, is um, yeah, good people. Epics good. is starting to kill it. Did you watch that show mm-hmm. from? I didn't see that one, but they did. Uh, they That's they ran, really good. Uh, I think they're still running Get Shorty, but they they did because um, Chris O'Donnell and IG crowd. Oh. Was yeah, yeah. They, in the series of it, it was just fucking brilliant. You get a chance, watch okay. watch from. It's very good. Cool. It's sort of like Salem's Lot meets, uh, what else? Um, like uh, oh, Under cool. the Dome meets Salem's Lot. It's like the with a with a little bit of Lost to it. Oh, it's actually cool. from some of the writers of Lost. So. Okay. Yeah, we we don't want to mention Under the Dome because that that story gives me just ugh. because it's creepy or. <laughs> We're like watching the show and it's like uh... the show was terrible. The book was yes. oh, the book was interesting for a while and then just sort of the ending. Yeah, yeah the first a thousand pages, well, I'm like cool. The second you know, thousand but who's going like, to be no. that that editor that's going to go up to Stephen King and be like, "Sorry, sir, you need to edit." I mean, you know, no one's going to be that person, so they're just like, "Thanks for all of it." Yeah, Ron, would. Ron, Ron would, would have no. <laughs> you had a Zoom meeting with that editor? Yeah. That'd just be creepy as fuck. Yeah. You have no Ron's freakishly tall, so Stephen King's And Ron will off. make you work with another editor who will be like, this is garbage, please fix it immediately. And then I'm like, okay, notes taken. I will fix the garbage. <laughs> He's got his human mouthpiece, and then he just feeds them the lines. You know, that's how the symbiosis works. So we have already decided, and the, and the horror industry has listened, that, that we're going to let remakes kind of die, the death they need to deserve. And we're going to start supporting more indie filmmakers so that we can be having people make more films more frequently so that they can continue improving their craft. And by the way, Ron, thank you for that. Because I think I I require my students to make a a film and they make it by the very end of the semester. And I think I'm going to make them make two films now. They're going to hate me. So I have to think about that. But but at the end, they're like, we didn't know how much it was going to involve. And I'm like, I warned you all semester. So I think I'm going to have them do two so that they can get better at it. Yeah, this is good. So thank you, Ron. Nice. Um, well, there's a twelve error because it's like no one the the, the, the first movie they made oh, their first yes. film is gonna suck unholy ass, and then the second one is is gonna suck too. And then if you get like by three or four, so like, but nobody can ever unmake the film that you made. Like no one can ever they, they can't undo that. It will exist forever, and that's that's as a storyteller. That's the whole fucking point is to be that's remembered cool. for something for the words that you were able to pull together. And that's, you know, d- doing two films. I mean, I think I think it's fantastic. I'll fucking, let's make a judging thing out of it. We'll be judges for it right now. We'll give them like a fucking walk-on role in some death. And it's much right easier now. and affordable now. I mean, they've all got cameras in their pockets now. And the new, yeah. you know, for a while there, you know, I, I laughed at the iPhones and things like that because they were terrible. You know, people were like, I'll make a movie with this iPhone 5. Yeah. It's going to look terrible. And uh, but now, man, <laughs> these, new one, <laughs> these new ones are... Yeah, they're always like, where do we get yeah. a camera? And I'm like, in your pocket, it was be- it's better than anything the school could buy, right? That they would want to lend to students yeah, yeah. anyway. <laughs> yeah. tell me it's better than the pocket. camera I made Fear of Clowns <laughs> yeah. 1 and 2 on. I need to start saying it's no. in your pocket, but that does sound a little creepy, so. 
Be like, what can I make a movie with? Like, What's that in your lit. pocket? That's what you shall use. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that you think horror needs to be doing or thinking about uh, to keep going in the direction it deserves to go? I just think fil- many filmmakers uh, need to spend more time writing or or they just need to get a writer for their stuff. I mean, the problem from a lot of these the things I watch are that just the scripts are bad. So it doesn't matter how how well directed they are or you can't really fix a bad script. You, you can try in the editing room, but uh, as Farrakhan's one proved, you, you can't fix it in, in the editing room. Uh, Farrakhan's one turned out to be you can't pretty bad. can't fix everything in post. <laughs> no, no, I thought I could because I was a pretty good editor at that point. And uh, no, I couldn't do it. I was pretty bummed for a while. And then Lionsgate called and I was like, well, you want to buy this piece of shit? All right, great. So... Uh, <laughs> Then I made Fear Clowns 2, which I liked a lot better. You know, Fear Clowns 2 was a little closer to what I had intended. Uh, but yeah. so I think it's just the writing. You know, I mean, I, I, I basically went to directing from from writing. You know, I was writing since I was like 12 years old. So I had been writing for a long time and I was a script reader for a, a, an agency out in L.A. for two years. So, I mean, honestly, I got to learn a lot more from bad screenplays than I did from good. Like I read a lot of the good professional screenplays. But I really learned a lot from the bad ones. You're like, oh my god, that, I'm I'm doing what this guy's doing. It's making do me be like, this script's terrible. So you start changing things and stuff like that. But I think that you know, either learn how to write well, or just you know, get a script that's good, and then you know, do that. By the way, so. as you're telling all the things you do, you you would have to be 146. You're like, I spent 17 years doing this and two years doing that. And I'm like, yeah, it I know, right? That math up. doesn't add up. Ron, what were yeah. you gonna say? Yeah. Yeah, you, you you guys are still trying to. Figure I'm just out settling all that, at 146. <laughs> you guys are the Jason was right. You got one of those fucking Harry Potter fidget spinners that wiggles time around, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask. Do you guys know the blood list? The blacklist or the blood list? The blood list must be a take on the blacklist, right? The blacklist. Yeah, yeah. Is... it's a blacklist yeah. with horror, and it's brilliant. And I think a, an untapped thing for film directors is. A lot of these um, these film festivals have screenwriting competitions where the winners have really kick-ass scripts that just sit there. So if I, if I was a director, I would probably go to those film festivals and I would check out those winners or those finalists for those screenplay competitions because there's some really good ones that are just sitting out there because there's screenwriters who can't direct, you know what I mean? So then, but they're good yeah. writers. And I think that gets- There's tons of them. I actually had a guy out of the blue send me a script for, uh, uh, for Territory 3 you know, I've made one and two, and actually three is what I'm currently on. I finished the script, but he had sent me this script. And normally I don't read this stuff, but the guy was a pretty vocal fan online and stuff. And I thought, all right, I'll take a look at it. But I let him know, I'm probably, you know, I'm not going to use any of this stuff. Whatever's in this, I'm not going to use it because I've already got, you know, Territory 3 mapped out. Mm. And I read it, and it's actually pretty good. I was like, there's a segment in it. <laughs> and I thought, I told him, I said, if I run short of a That's segment... Cool. I will use this. I will, you know, contact you and and license this from you so I can put it in the movie. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of, uh, you know, good writers out there. It's just a matter of looking for them, you know, realizing, number one, you're not that good or the script that you've written is not that good. And then going out and finding one that is. So. And the other thing I was going to recommend is because this happened to me at this company in India had got a read up play of mine I had published long time ago and then they, they they did a film option of it to shoot it and then COVID broke out so I'm not, I'm not sure where they're standing with that right now but what what i'm finding that film companies are doing now is like if you're interested in making good horror films read like those top horror journals and then find the short stories and you're like that's freaking brilliant i could turn that to a movie i would 
again, if I was a film, a horror film director, I'd be reading those top, those like strange horizons and like those really good uh, horror um, publications that they're looking for anything that really seems like it could translate to, into a film. Because um, I think you could do some pretty cool stuff with that. Because a lot of times, especially with horror, short stories, a really solid short story lends itself pretty well to a film. Sometimes novels are harder because of the length. But a solid short story, like freaking, what's the Will Smith movie that he's the oh, I am legend. The legend, is that what it's called? I am legend. Oh, that book. Is, you know, that, that short story that it's based on? Uh, William Matheson. Yeah, that short story. It's a full book. It's a full book. It's just a short book, but it's a full book. But that short story, again, if if writers writers out there haven't read that story, that freaking story, especially when the neighbor is calling his name. Oh, my Uh, God. I remember I was reading that. I was like freaking in Florida, just like my parents' uh, spare room. And I was like, that is writing. That was so good. (laughs) Well, the funny part is that, you know, I've gotten a lot more into the the horror fiction side lately because i've you know i have a good buddy ronald malfi who's a, a horror writer and i've been hanging out with that crowd a lot and there are so many of them who are begging to get stuff made like they've literally yeah. come to me and said listen if you want to make something of mine just say the word yeah. so i mean a lot of these people just want to see their their stuff made and a lot of them are really really talented writers yeah. so just you know start looking around start reading some of the, the books from a lot of these you know well-known and, and not well-known horror writers you know if they're if they're not actively getting stuff optioned right you have a great shot at saying hey you know could i take a whack at that book give me you know give me a two-year option to turn this into a script and then direct it and see what happens uh, horror obsessed writing and literature society howls is the acronym and and i mean they're they're producing their own you know anthologies and they're getting some big names to do introductions and i mean that whole community is one of the most active community of writers I've ever been a part of. And I mean, you could just spend a lifetime just right there. Right. And it's just amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I just want to come back to the, the film festival aspect is something that Ron has said is, I mean, I, I think it mean, you know, and, and Crimson Screen Horror, Austin Revolution, um, Nightmares Film Festival. Uh, I mean, you know, Cape Fear. I mean, it, um, Stranger Days. There are so many, I mean, you can't even start naming them because you're going to forget somebody who looks like an asshole. Um, Film festivals, the horror, especially for the horror, are, are one of the most amazing places to actually do social networking. Because I've been at, you know, I've been at Crimson Screen, and you see, you can watch people, and maybe there's a writer who meets a director, maybe there's an actor who meets uh, an effects person or something like that. But you can watch these people meet one year, and then you come back the next year, and they've got the project that they made in that time, and they, they made something new, and they keep making stuff. But I, I've seen these wonderful relationships blossom from people, you know, people of, of, of different backgrounds who, who would never, you know, not likely be in a room together at the same time. Um, but they come together for a film festival. So and anybody watching, anybody listening, so if you want to write, but you you know, and, and not everyone, um, you know, there are, are very few people and souls in this world who can write and direct and edit and and, uh, and do all of those things well. Um, I, I I got in it too. I got it in it. I got into filmmaking as a writer, and the directors I was working with, they just didn't get it. Also, I wrote, I put way too much direction in my scripts. So I was like, here's all the visual details because this is how I see it in my head. And apparently directors are like, I want to put my vision on it. I'm like, fuck your vision. Uh, so I started directing. And like, and I tried like, I'm going to edit too. I'm like, editing's hard. We're going back to writing and directing. Um, I mean, you can't, you can't wear all the hats. You can't know one person is an island. Some people can be peninsulas. Other people can be penises. But 
the thing about film festivals is, I mean, it's just, it's one of those wonderful places where you're going to have the most kindred spirits you will ever likely be in a small dark room with. Um, and, and just talk to somebody and, and, and film festivals, you can watch some of the most amazing stuff. Like, like Ron said, you can get ideas, you can get jealous, you can get inspired, you can see what works, you can see what doesn't. And then you go outside and a lot of times, you know, there's, you know, in between, in between blocks, whatever like that, there's after parties, there's other things going on where you can meet the people. So like, if you want to, and I highly recommend, I apply, I implore you, please find a horror, find a film festival, find a horror film festival, somewhere in your area and just go. And even if you don't know anybody in the festival, you don't know anything about it, just go and and, and pay the $10, $20 for a day and just I watch for you. Um, vote for me. No, uh, I implore you, uh, go to film festivals. Um, you, you have no idea who you will be able to meet. You might, you know, if you see a film, you'll be able to meet the filmmakers there. If you want to get into filmmaking and you don't even know what you want to do yet, talk to the people there, talk to the filmmakers, talk to the film, the, the, the film watchers, because you... You have no idea the world that you could change just by telling somebody that you liked their movie or just saying, you know, thanks or I love this. Or, you know, this is cool. It, 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 it's it's one of the magical parts of movie making that I love and I love so much. And being able to go to those film festivals and just having that showcase for your work that otherwise wouldn't get the attention aside from the six YouTube hits and four of which are your mom, you know, um, to be able to screen it in, in, in venues and stuff like that, um, to be able to have that, that you know, because we've seen uh, Carolina Fear Fest here in Raleigh. You know, we screened Kill Giggles at the Alamo Draft House. And it was like, holy, <laughs> my film, you know, like, there's my name. And it's like, holy crap, it's really big on that screen. Um, and it's just, it's one of those mind-blowing moments where I flash back to sneaking in the Nightmare on Elm Street and seeing Wes Craven's name on screen. It's like, I want to do that. I want, I want that. I had no idea at the time. I uh, went through a lot of trials and tribulations, and yet here we are. So it's like, that's, I, I, film festivals are just one of the best places for actual, literal social networking. Uh, and it, it's something that doesn't get a whole lot of attention because everyone's like, oh, is it like can or is it like Sundance? No, because that's all bullshit marketing and a bunch of promotions that you have to pay to get into. You know, things like Crimson Screen, things like Austin Revolution, uh, you know, Nightmares Film Festival. Um, th th those are, I mean, it, it's it's the living, beating, bleeding heart of independent film, especially horror film. Um, and it's something that just deserves as much attention as we can give it. That's, that's what happened to me at Crimson Screen is I... Steve Balderson had this movie. It was Helltown. It was just bizarre. And I went up to him. I had to talk to him because it was interesting. And then, and then I said, just for the hell of it, I had a copy of, of my book. It was in my car. And I said, I got to give this copy of my book. So I give him a copy of my book and not thinking he's going to read it. And then he gave me, he said, he gave me a link to Firecracker. I don't know if you guys have seen that. But you know Firecracker? That's a great movie. Uh, Roger Ebert had his best, one of, on his best films of the year list. It's, it's just really well done. Like a, just a, it stars a Mike Patton from Fate No More, and uh, oh. yeah, and he's great in it. And then uh, uh, Amanda Black, who you know she was an Oscar nominee. So and and so I saw the movie and I was like, this is so incredible. And then he was he was like, you know, I think you'd be good to be in one of my movies because he I, they want me to be a killer typically. And and so like he he, he cast me in that and I got to act. Joe Pantoliano was there from Sopranos and The Matrix, oh, wow. and, and he's wow. an amazing actor. And then, and then the same thing happened with, with John Johnson. It wasn't that I, I saw something he wrote and I loved it. It was this one woman had the script that was just beautiful. And me and him both walked up to tell this director how much we love each other. I, I mean, much, we, we, we love the film. <laughs> it, but sorry, because I'm uh, jumping ahead. She said- Already to slip. Well, no, because no, what she said was, she goes, she goes, are you guys brothers? And so I, I don't know why I did this, but I said, yeah. Because <laughs> we look nothing alike. And then John goes, yeah, how's dad doing? And then, and then we just started improv like uh, that we were brothers. 
And then because we improv so well and work so well together, that's when he started going, you know, it would be good to work with you because we just naturally clicked. We naturally did just love each other, you know? And so, so that's how he, and then the thing was, then he cast me the title character, the title role in this movie. And so like that, I always, I always wanted to play the lead in a movie, but I was like, how in the hell do you ever actually do that? And it just fell in my lap by going to film festivals. And I think what Jason's talking about is like, especially for anybody out there who's like really new to this, that's how you break in nowadays. It, it, to get into Hollywood itself is so freaking impossible that you have to get to know people on a one-on-one -on -one level, you know, and it's just that simple of me and John, uh, me and John just connecting of when I, when they said, are you brother? And I was like, yeah. And then we just riffed in, the, in that connection. That's what you're looking for is people that you connect with. I think like Jason and Kevin, you can probably talk about this because you probably have actors that you work with just like, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson with, you know, his whole stream, John C. Riley and people that he's, you know, uh, William H. Macy, you got to have people like when they're in something and you're like, I'm spending the rest of my life with you. You are going to be in so much stuff that I write. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think you actually talked about some of those, but you like Jason, like, I can't remember the actress that you just fell in love with. And you're like, you're just so excited that they were in your movie. Who was that? There's well, it was Felissa Rose. I mean, I got I got lucky because I, I had met her at, again, we're dropping major nods, but at Crimson Screen, um, met Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp there. And I was just like, you know, I'm like, you blew my fucking mind. I'm like, you had a fantastic <laughs> penis. I'm like, she's like, it wasn't mine. I'm like, I don't care. Um, and, it, you know, she was at Crimson Screen and uh, I, did a, she ended up doing, I sat in the back with her. I think we were doing fireball shots while she basically MST3K'd Sleepaway Camp. And it was fucking amazing. I went up hang out a weekend. It was just um, she's like, you know, she's like, I love you, short film. You're like, you ever have anything? We should work together sometime. It's like, oh yeah, that'd be great. And then I hit her up like six months later. I'm like, uh, remember when you said that thing? I've got this idea. And she ended up doing a voiceover for the corner. And then um, I, I wanted just I had to do uh, something with her again. So I wrote a role for her in Kill Giggles. Um, and then she committed to doing that. She's like, well, you should put Vernon Wells in the movie. I'm like, of course I should put Vernon Wells in the movie. <laughs> uh she's like well i'll send a text real quick i'm like oh of course you'll send oh. a text and then she did i'm like holy shit wow. um and then i have like an hour and a half long conversation with vernon wells i'm just like i'm flashing back to like i mean road warrior and mad max and weird science it was like holy fuck and then judith today I, I had met her on the set of um a, a director by the name of matt cloud who was doing a movie called night of the living dead genesis and I got to be in a scene with Judith O'Day where I basically, I was a, the, a guard at a, a mental institution. I walk her from point A to point B. I'm like, I came and got Barbara. I'm like, holy fuck. Um, but I ended up just sort of keeping friends with her. So, I mean, it, these people that I that I, I grew up watching uh, religiously, some of my most favorite horror movies, most movie, you know favorite movies of ever. And then I get to work with them and they're, like, they're reciting words that came out of my head. Um, and it's just fucking mind blowing because you want to go back and you want to call like eight year old you and be like, look, I know things suck in 1984, but they're going to get so much fucking better. Um, so, I mean, that's 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 what has to be one of the most rewarding things about about filmmaking, about horror filmmaking. So, I mean, just being able to have those dreams come true, even while you're living your worst nightmare being on a set surrounded by clowns. It's like me, like I, I can't believe it from my evil death book. I got to know Betsy Baker really well. She went on book tour with me. And I consider her a friend now. And like, that's from freaking, it's from Evil Dead. And I can't, I can't, I, can, I have her phone number. I'm just like, that's just insane. It's so cool to connect with people like that. Hey, Kevin, who is it? Like, who is it that you keep working with? Um, I, 
I use Johnny Alonzo a lot. I don't know if you know who he is. He's done a million and a half things. He was on like One Tree Hill and and uh, Dawson's Creek for a while and Gotham. And he's been in a lot of things, but he's local to Baltimore as well as LA. He's got a place, you know, so he goes basically coast to coast. Uh, I've used him a lot. Uh, Tom Proctor, um, who was in Halloween 5 and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and a million other like True Detective. I mean, you turn on the TV and you'll see him somewhere. Mm-hmm. He was in Bounty and Fear Clowns 2. Um, lately, it's mostly uh, like um, a good friend of mine, um, Richard Cutting, who was in the Territory movies and he was, he was the lead in Garden of Eden. You know, basically when you find somebody that you have a really good rapport with, and especially if, if once they get to like sort of know your shorthand, it's much easier to work with them. You don't have to take as much time trying to get them to understand the character because, or understand, you know, your interpretation of the character because they're, they, they know you and they know how you work and they get to know your character. So I think that's one of the reasons um, I haven't really, the funny part, the, the Felissa Rose Vernon Wells thing, it's like, are they just like a package deal? Because I went to uh, Blood on the Beach convention because uh, I know Tiffany Sheppis. And so Tiffany Sheppis and Felissa Rose were hanging out and then Vernon came over and, and Tiffany's like, oh, hey, Vernon, this is Kevin. He makes movies. And I feel Vernon's big hands on my shoulder. And he's like, oh, how come you haven't put me in one of your movies? And I was like, just sort of kidding. I was like, I, I thought you were dead. And uh, there, was, there was like, there was like this brief moment of shot. Like he looked around and then he started laughing. And from there on, it was hysterical. And like, we, you know, we all went out to dinner and we hung out that whole weekend. And, you know, that Felissa Rose got us into the VIP party, even though I, you know, I was not there as a guest. So uh, it was a lot of fun, but it's funny how, you know, you hear all these names and stuff, but I'd love to work with, you know, some of those people. And I have had talks with some of them and like Kelly Maroney was, uh, I was talking to her about being in one movie that just, I couldn't get the budget for it and I wouldn't do it for as cheap as the budget I had gotten at that point. I was like, I'm, I'd just rather not do it than, than half-ass it. So you Baltimore, you said? I'm very close to Baltimore. Yeah. You should check out for a writer, Raphael Varis. He's a buddy of mine. He wrote for the wire on HBO. He is so freaking talented, hardcore Baltimore guy. You can friend him on Facebook and just tell him, you know, hey, Ron was saying we should connect with each other. That guy writes his ass off. I mean, anybody who wrote for the friggin' wire, he's he's got talent. He's a he's hardcore Baltimore guy. Nice. So I'd love to connect to. Cool. That's so cool. So that's the funny part. I know I know John Johnson too. We we are talking about the same John Johnson, right? Yeah, yeah. We did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I know him. I've met him quite a few times and hung out with him. So I mean he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Hot, hot wife, too. I mean, what's up with that? Yeah, she's nice too. She won at the Crimson Screen. She won. We got both got nominated. She she won Best Actress. She was so pumped. She was so yeah, she's, she's so friendly. She's so nice. It's it's crazy. I don't I don't know how he got that lucky. They yeah, both she, look really hot throwing axes too. Because that one time at Crimson <laughs> Screen, like we all like we all got super drunk and like let's go across the street to the axe throwing bar. We're like yeah, so we all went there. And we're like John had like an axe in each hand. He's like, oh my gosh, it was just it was hot. Did you ever accidentally call? Apparently, I need to start going to this festival. Screen is just amazing. Like it's one of my it's one of my favorite ever. I mean, it's just it's um yeah. I mean, it's just the the venue, the filmmakers, the film. Like it's just one of those where everything coalesces together into a wonderful weekend. Like I can't say enough nice things about it. Well, I think this segues nicely into the last question because I I know that you all are busy and and I've kept you over, but I just want to know what's next. What should people be marking on their calendar to to look out for in the next one, two, in Kevin's case, 146 years. <laughs> well, you see, I'm so old. I'm actually contemplating retirement at this point. 
Um, but I, I would like to get Territory 3 done because it would wrap up the story that I set up. You know, there's there's quite a few setups in 1 and 2 that lead to 3 that are now just dangling. So I'd love to finish that. And it would also be the first trilogy I've ever done. But uh, I just don't know whether it's going to happen because some of the actors from the first movie have disappeared. And uh, mm -hmm. I kind of need them. And I don't really want to recast the role, you know. So, mm -hmm. so I don't know whether I'm going to do that or not or whether I'm just going to, you know. Uh, write write novels and things like that that are you know I can do by myself in the comfort of my home rather than go out in the woods and kill myself in hundred degree weather <laughs> getting bit by bugs <laughs> exactly oh they're bad <laughs> so I, I don't really know other than territory three I don't have necessarily anything other than that and some you know I'm always writing so I write yeah. all the time for me I got um the the many lives of the twilight zones coming out uh this year and with mcfarland and then i did uh, the many lives of the purge which is going to come on next year which was really cool because there's tons to say about america politics and stuff with the Purge series and then uh me and kevin wetmore are contracted for a book with uh university of edinburgh press but we're both really freaking busy. So it's trying to get that thing done has been hard. So it's just like really hard to get both our schedules together, but we're, we're looking to do that. And then I have Michigan State University Press. I got an anthology coming out that's on indigenous writing that's said to come out in fall um, that Gordon Henry's been uh, the head editor on that. And then I got a poetry book coming out with Middle West Press. That's uh, military poems that I wrote about mm. Desert Storm and stuff like that. And then I got other stuff too, I'm forgetting, but yeah, I got lots, lots going on. And then I should probably show this thing, because this is what... Holy shit, he does have electricity. Okay. <laughs> but we only get to see <laughs> it for the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, Jason. And back out. I, I asked you guys at the beginning what you guys are working on, because I was actually legitimately curious. So, like, yeah, what are you working on? <laughs> Yeah, so Jason. Um, for me, I just I've uh, we've been in a weird sort of creative limbo with Kill Giggles having distribution and going through QC and basically just waiting for a release date from Hollywood. So it's it, it it's hard to get those creative wheels going again when the last thing I did isn't technically released. Like it doesn't feel done yet. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm way too OCD, but like I'm going to start all this other shit. And I'm like I wanted to get the other thing fucking done. Um, but the the screenplay demons are screaming in my head again. Um, so we've got, there was one I was going to, I wrote a short called The Blue-Eyed Boy and Mr. Death, uh, which is based off of a line of one of my favorite E.E. Cummings poems. Um, and it's, it's, it's not a horror movie at all. It's probably the most personal, dramatic thing I think I've ever written. Um, it has a sort of a, a slight surreal, uh, surreal fantasy sort of aspect to it at the very end. Um, I was going to work with Adam Hampton, uh, who's an amazing actor out of Oklahoma, and then also Vernon Wells. Um, as well as my, my dear friend, uh, Patrick G. Keenan, uh, who is the Sean Bean of North Carolina independent film. Dies and everything. Fantastic fellow. Um, but uh, due to the, the, the fickle fates of the film gods that we were supposed to shoot at the end of this month, um, and we had to postpone that. So the next thing I want to do is I wrote a sequel, or I wrote a short film called Cub. Um, one of my dear brothers, uh, Jesse Knight, did a short called Werewolf Hunters um, that had a, a fun little run on the film festival circuit. And we were filming that and my son came to the set and he's like, well, I'm going to go with you to the werewolf movie. He's like, I'm going to be the wolf. I'm like, but it's already uncle Michael. Like we, we fit fangs and <laughs> prosthetics and shit's expensive. Um, and like, and then like his bottom lip started to puff out a little bit. I'm like, fine, I'll write you a werewolf script and you can be the werewolf. He's like, okay. 
because uh, the girl he's been in love with since second grade apparently has a werewolf thing. Um, so I'm like, we'll make the movie. You can be the wolf. You'll be the star. He's like, yeah. Um, so we're, I think we're going to maybe try and shoot that. Hopefully um, we're in North Carolina. So we'll probably have maybe like two days in between really fucking hot and really fucking cold uh, that we're going to shoot this short film in that, in that one weekend. Um, and then it's just, I've, I've got like six fucking screenplays I need to finish in, in various stages uh, one is called Death Calf, uh, which is going to be sort of a sequel to a short called Lunch Ladies, which did everything. It won all the awards at all the film festivals mm-hmm. ever, uh, written by Clarissa Jacobson, um, which is one of the one of the best horror shorts I've ever, I've ever, ever seen. And again, I, I would have never been introduced to that film or met my friend, my friend Clarissa, if it wasn't for the Nightmares Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I want to be able to do that. Uh, and then the other thing I'm, I'm sort of getting for is I want to do an anthology, but I want to do it right because I've seen so many anthologies just fall apart. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's one of the ideas I'm kicking around in. And then the other one I want to do is uh, where since I did the movie where we killed clowns, um, now I'm going to do the movie where we kill cancer because uh, no one's ever done that yet. And I figure if I write it the right way, it can be the best fucking revenge film ever told. <laughs> um, so we're going to do that. So I, that's going to be the next big thing is we're going to fucking kill cancer, um, cool. and it's going to be a hoot. Uh, and it's going to be a riot and I can't wait. And then there's like, it's just, there's so much, yeah, so much shit I want to do, but it's just, I sort of need that, that last little bit of closure on kill giggles. Um, especially when crowdsourcing and begging people for money <laughs> you don't deserve. Um, it's hard. It's hard. So yeah, there's, there's lots of, lots of stories to tell. Uh, I just need to film gods to, to let me tell them. Oh, this is exciting. And money, lots of fucking money. Yeah, I was gonna Anybody say out there, Ron, all your millionaire friends. Holy fuck, do I have screenplays for them? Yeah, um, I, I have a new life goal, and it is to one day be the person that Ron is talking about when he says, No, I have friends who are very wealthy, and I'm like, I'm one of that. You know, that's that's my new life goal. So are you I need money because I gotta option some of the shit Ron's putting out. So I mean, I gotta it's gonna that it's gonna cost a pretty penny. Yeah. What are you working on, Catherine? That's a good question. Um, so I, I will have the essay coming out in your mini lives of the purge and That'd be a good one. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that. And then um, I'm, I have a couple other things for the podcast that are coming out. So my, my job is uh, in faculty development has been a lot while we've been through the pandemic. Right. Cause like I had faculty that were like, but what is the internet? And I was like, okay, let's start there and then we'll talk about how to make classes be online so you know i and then i had other faculty that were like we have this but you know that it was just me and, and a lot of faculty so i've i've had to kind of take a step away from from some of the creative stuff um but i just finished and it will be again next year so anyone can play it's uh, something called monster mayhem and it's a horror themed bracket style tournament and we did the math we we have an algorithm built and so we oh, seeded right. them just like march madness but but based on the data that we scraped from from films and books and so you know i'd be i don't think we have a clown category for for next year but we could easily have a clown category in the future and I'm, i could reach out to you and ask you to, for for some data on on those films um but that that was the biggest undertaking of my life. So I don't want to have a project for like three months. <laughs> Cause I, <laughs> I was like, what if I learned? Anymore. Yeah. I was like, what if I learned how to build a website and algorithms and, uh, you know, and I'm like, I, I'm a humanities person. What am I doing? So I'm taking a break, Ron. That's, that's what I'm doing for the next three months. <laughs> I, I build websites. I do that shit. Yeah. It's I, I wish I hadn't, <laughs> I just wish I had just stopped at some point, but it's, it was fun wallet. And so it, that's, yeah. You want to know well, something freaky? I do. I've never seen a purge movie. 
The first one they're, I They're going to take away my horror cool kid. Really? Part. I've never seen a Purge movie. I've never seen an Insidious yeah. movie. Wow. Uh, oh, that's good too. Oh my God, those are good movies. I know, like I hear, it, but it's just like Insidious. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. I saw the Friday the Thirteenth remake, and it was like, all right, so don't steal Jason's weed. Yeah, I mean that, that just was, that like, was a good, the like don't steal anyone's weed. Yeah, good, like, compared to that Nightmare on Elm Street remake, the Friday the Thirteenth was like amazing. Oh so, yeah, Street, yeah, that remake was so fucking bad. The so Friday the Thirteenth one. I don't mind watching the Friday the 13th one. It's okay. It's, you know, what it is. It's got a couple cool kills. It's got some nudity. But that Nightmare on Elm Street, man, when they started hinting that, ah, maybe Freddy was okay. Maybe he wasn't a child molester. And maybe they they killed him, you know, mistakenly. I was like, but we're fucking turning him into a good guy? What is going on? Yeah. I think it was just, it was the character himself. Because, I mean, with Freddy, with Freddy Krueger, watching everything I did in the 80s, like, that is always inherently intrinsically tied to Robert Englund. Yeah. I mean the 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 yes. vocal just the voice the vocal inflections the mannerisms the body language everything you know Michael Myers didn't talk except for whatever the fuck Rob Zombie was singing at the end of Halloween two it was like let's have dialogue no 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 put your wife on the horse for another fucking twenty minutes and shoot that um, but with 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 Michael with Jason you didn't there there was that silent killer aspect and that that was the endearing part but. With with Freddie, that I mean, it was just so charming while he was gutting you with fucking syringe gloves. Um, that I mean, you can't that that lightning is never going to get caught in a bottle twice, you know. Well, and I I think I read that the actor who played uh, Freddie in the remake was like, I don't like what Robert England did, and I was like, I'm I'm sorry, what? <laughs> you, you don't Jackie like Earl, the character? It's Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, he, he's a really good actor. I don't know whether he said that or not. He's a really good actor, but I mean, for me, the the, the 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 big thing of it was that number one he was way too short for that role like he mm. every time they should have cast a, a lot of short me. kids if they were going to do that me. the kids they should cast fucking nine foot Ron dude <laughs> the kids were taller than Freddie and it just it was like what this just seemed weird <laughs> it's like Freddie's not a hobbit what the fuck exactly <laughs> that's so funny well that's a good note to end on <laughs> there we go Freddie's not a hobbit yeah challenge folks are going to get mad at me. Since we're wrapping up, I just really wanted to say, like, all three of you, I sent you an email out of the blue. We didn't know who the hell I was. And all of you were crazy enough to respond. So I just want to say thank you for being a part of these anthologies I put together, especially because I had people who were like, I don't know who the hell you are, and just, like, don't even respond. Whereas you guys were crazy enough to say, hey, yeah, no, that sounds fun. I'll do that. <laughs> and you guys were great interviews, like Ke- Kevin and Jason, both of you. I, 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 as a matter of fact, this is funny. As soon as the book came out, the first thing I did was I reread those interviews because I love those interviews with you yeah, guys. Yeah, they're good. And then, uh, and then Katie, thank you for two for for you know for, yeah. for, for this and for I love how we get to connect like this. So I'm glad yes. that you guys all know each other. We're all a big family now. Well, so. you introduced me to Kevin Wetmore, who was someone that I like cited oh, in my dissertation, brilliant. and I was like, yeah. he's a real person. I get to, you know, and so, you know, that's just, it's just neat when you're realizing that you're getting to meet the people that you've been learning from, right? So, and Jason, Kevin, since we had the interview be, you know, like two days, like we had two days notice. I haven't watched your film yet, but I'm very excited to do it. It's on my, my list of things to do when I take vacation in a couple of weeks. So drop me a line and tell me which ones you hated and which ones you liked. I'll be like, dear Kevin, (laughs) here are my notes, you know, just enough nudity. I don't That's get right. offended. At, I don't get offended at anything. So if you hate the movie, I mean, especially like in the case of Fair Clowns, I mean, I, I tend to agree with the people who are like, you know, they, they bag on it and expect me to defend it. I'm like, nah, you're right. 
Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> but that's okay. In your in your next, you know, 146 years, you. But that takes the wind out of their sails for their critique. But yeah, I would imagine agree. that's yeah. true. But well, the funny thing is, women tend to like Fair Clowns one more than the other movies. I don't, I'm not sure because oh. it tends to be more. It's a little more suspenseful and not mm. really much of a horror movie. There's a bit of a mystery suspense thing going. But mm. if you go in looking for like hardcore horror movie, no, nah, you're gonna be real disappointed. <laughs> but in that one, it's just it's all dong. Like it's nothing but dick, and he's like, I don't. I don't have any dong in any of my movies yet. I don't think. Maybe the next one. Maybe Territory okay. 3. I'll put it down. See, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Territory oh, 3. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hit stop on the record. As creative director of the Straight Jacket Tested, Doctor Proved Mad Ones films from Greensboro, North Carolina. Jason Buterin's mission has been to show the unbridled, kaleidoscopic creativity just waiting to be unleashed when the inmates are finally allowed to run the cinematic asylum. He's the writer and director of award-winning indie film fare, such as the Tarantino Meets Twilight Zone trilogy, the Gospel According to Booze, Bullets, and Hot Pink Jesus, the on-the-road thriller Between Hell and a Hard Place, and the sinister stay-at-home horror hits Don't Let the Light In and The Corner. He's currently awaiting the Hollywood studio release of his very first feature-length film, the chlorophobia courting, clown-killing, thrilling goodness of Kill Gibbles. And he's also prepping a series of screenplays to go into production once the apocalypse finally goes away. Kevin Kangas is the writer and director of seven feature films, including the cult classic Hunting Humans, the Lionsgate features Fear of Clowns 1 and 2, and the hit anthologies Terror Tory 1 and 2. He's also published a novella about vampires called With Teeth, and a book that's more a love letter to Halloween called Halloween, the greatest holiday of all. Ron Rickey's books include My Ancestors Are Reindeer Herders, and I Am Melting in Extinction from Apprentice House Press, Post Traumatic from Hoot and Waddle, and UP from Ghost Road Press. Ricky co-edited The Many Lives of the Evil Dead and The Many Lives of the Twilight Zone, both from McFarland, as well as Undocumented from Michigan State University Press. He also edited The Many Lives of Scary Clowns and The Many Lives of It from McFarland, Here and And Here from MSU Press, an independent publisher book award winner, and The Way North from Wayne State University Press, a Michigan notable book. His story, America, published in DCOM, was turned into a film by MC Squared Film in Romania, winning awards at the Red Rock Film Festival and Trey Court International Film Festival, and it was distributed throughout Greece. His story, Teeths, Pushcart nominated and published in Santa Barbara Literary Journal, was turned into a film by the same production company, winning awards at the Dracula Film Festival, Rockport Film Festival, and Trey Court International Film Festival, and it was screened at over 100 theaters in France. Ricky played the title role in the horror film Flesher, directed by John Johnson, receiving a Crimson Screen Horror Film Fest nomination for Best Actor in a Feature Film. He also acted in the movie Short Straw, directed by Stephen Balderson, starring Joe Pantelano and Sarah Clark.